the the thing that I'm really passionate about championing is all narratives of disability and that there is no one you know representative um, or story so you know I can tell mine in the hope that other parents or or disabled people it might resonate with them and and you know hopefully help in educating other people around the fact that it that it is not uh, something to be feared Welcome to the PS Younger Self podcast, where we talk to inspiring entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and creatives on how we can all crush our fears and optimize our lifestyle to live our most fulfilling lives, and always on our own terms. But before we get started, I want to tell you guys about Instacart. I mean, with the likelihood of staying at home a bit longer than we all want, and with the looks of how things are unfolding, getting your groceries should be something you don't have to worry about. I mean, I certainly don't want to. And with Instacart, my listeners in the US and Canada can get everything you want, hand-selected by shoppers based on your preferences from your local stores and delivered to your doorstep in as little as an hour. So you have more time for, you know, those things you actually want to do, like content creation maybe, or Zoom parties. But seriously, with Instacart, you get unlimited groceries delivered to you for one low monthly fee, which is way better than those other guys that may be adding on fees every time you use their app. So to get started with your 14-day free trial, just follow the link in the show notes to let Instacart know I sent you and to support the show. On that note, if you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button so you get notified of the latest episode and drop me a review. Let me know what you honestly think. It really means a lot to me and helps me curate the most valuable content and conversations with incredible experts for you. Now let's get started. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining me for another episode today that is part of our monthly series in collaboration with HubDot, where we bring you an inspiring story from the global HubDot community. And if you're not familiar, HubDot is a global organization taking a radically different approach to human connections and stories above job titles and social status. And as always, with their special episodes, we're joined today by our partner from HubDot, Today, we are joined by Phyllida Swift, who is a born campaigner and champions for the power of human stories to bring about social change, including improving the quality of life for people with facial differences. First of all, welcome, Phyllida. How are you? Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing okay. It's been, um, I must admit, it's been quite a difficult week. We've had this uh, tragic loss of one of my colleagues and a real leader in this space so it's a difficult time but it's lovely to be able to be in a safe space with people who are happy to share and I'm yeah I'm really happy to be here well we're so sorry for the loss but thank you for being part of this conversation which I know is very important to you as well and you're very passionate about this topic and before we get into welcoming our special guest I would love for you to also share a little bit about yourself and why this topic is important to you. Of course yes yeah. so um thank you very much for my short intro. intro. So yes I am hugely passionate about uh, something called face equality. So think race equality, but uh, specific to people's faces. So I myself have facial scars. Um, I was in a car accident when I was 22. Um, and that suddenly overnight 
changed my world, changed my life. And I suddenly gained an insight into what it's like to be a woman uh, with a facial difference and then instantly be associated with something that is so often seen as ugly and negative and we see villains in films constantly portrayed with facial scarring or we see people who are objects of pity Um, and for that reason people are so often ostracized and stigmatized um, in society and I have essentially spent the past um, five years campaigning in this space to change the narrative and reshape the way that people see facial differences and try to reshape it around giving people respect over pity or sympathy Um, and it's just something that I am hugely passionate about to talk about and as I said we have we have current we're currently grieving the loss of a of a man called James Partridge who essentially was the pioneer of this movement um, and a great pioneer in the disability space as well. Um, He got um, disfigurement protected in the Equality Act here in the UK and then he then took the campaign for face equality global with an alliance of charities called Face Equality International who I now work for at the same time as HubDot. So this conversation in particular is something that I am hugely passionate about. I just think changing the narrative to something more positive and respectful and representative is just so, so important. And having nuanced conversations like this is vital to shaping public perception. So I, that's probably a very long-winded question. Um, <laughs> so thank you so much, Chris. Yeah, no, 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 not long-winded at all. It was everything that needed to be said, and I'm so grateful that you shared it. You know, you and I have been working together on HubDot, but, you know, I really didn't know the the depth of it. I did see your TEDx talk, though, um, but thank you for sharing that, and thank you for being such a bold champion for this. And with that said, with Philida and HubDot, would love to welcome our special guest today to expand deeper on how we can all rethink and reframe the narrative of disability. As Philida mentioned, our guest is a fearless woman who is a champion for diversity and inclusion, particularly around disability. As the managing partner of Elvis, a multi-award winning global creative communications agency, In the UK, she drives the agency forward to be on the forefront of culturally relevant and progressive issues. She is also a Pitch 100 Superwoman and part of the Future Female Advisory Board and regularly speaks and and is a commentator on issues around diversity and inclusion. Please meet Emma Gardner. Emma, welcome. Thank you for being with us today on this very important conversation. Wow. Hi. Um, that's, um, that's blown me away, that introduction. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> um, it's really great to be here, um, especially with Philida, who I know very well. Um, and I'm sending lots of love to you now, um, Philida. You're so welcome. Like many who attended the last Hubdot Piazza, I believe last month, I was 
very moved by your story of you and your daughter, Dottie, which I know drives your passionate mission to help us all rethink and reframe disability. Can you please share a little bit about your story? Tell us a little bit about your beautiful daughter, Dottie, and your mission with us here at PS Younger Self. Um, sure. Yeah. Um, so I suppose um, my daughter is six now, um, which is unbelievable. Um, but she's six and um, she has a really rare condition called STXBP1. Um, and it's essentially um, a genetic condition that she was born with um, and the sort of effects of which are um, cognitive. So um, although she might be six in age, um, because the um, condition she has um, affects her global development, she essentially is, is more like sort of 18 months to two, to two maximum um, in terms of her development. So... She's nonverbal, but very vocal, I might add. <laughs> um, she is just starting to um, experiment much more with movement, um, but needs to be supported uh, with various equipment um, and sort of full-time one-to-one care. So everything from dressing to um, changing, um, she, needs, she needs support with and help with. So um, Dottie coming into uh, my life definitely was the catalyst for me uh, looking back in terms of, I suppose, waking me up to um, disability, um, first of all, as a parent, which felt quite, um, in all honesty, scary um, and sad and um, sort of really overwhelming. Um, and then much more than that into um thinking about disability Dottie and her disabilities but also just uh, more broadly and the journey I've been on in reframing that for myself and um sort of learning to celebrate understand and open myself uh, up to things that I potentially didn't um, know were there before or reacted to in a way because of the things I was taught or you know the way society is so um the the thing that I'm really passionate about championing is all narratives of disability and that there is no one um you know representative um or story so you know I can tell mine in the hope that other parents or or disabled people um it might resonate with them and and you know hopefully help in educating other people around the fact that it that it is not uh, something to be feared um and for me personally, you know, it's just not um, sad. I don't need, you know, Phil had touched on earlier, the sort of the pity, the sympathy. Um, Dottie is just a very different individual, um, but still one that is a total rock star. I'm sure. Yes. And thank you so much for sharing um, uh, your story and more about Dottie and how that has been a catalyst. And so you, you know, when raising the issue of um, reframing disability and, and like you, I will admit, you know, I don't think of myself as um, I think of myself as, you know, being inclusive and, and don't really think twice about if I am uh, not thinking about it and including people with any differences. But I think society, we're just so um, programmed and indoctrinated to think and believe and see and perceive things differently. So when 
we, what does it mean, Emma, and how does it look for this reframing of, as you well said, all narratives of disability? And I would assume it's more than just representation in our society, right? Definitely. Um, I suppose the the penny dropped with me, um, much like yourself, I think I'd always um, found and taking comfort in the fact that I was, you know, um, incredibly approachable and um, inclusive and liberal and fair. Um, And I think it it sort of dawned on me, working in advertising as well, um, you know, for the last, goodness me, over six six years, you know, this goes beyond um, Dottie coming into the world. You know, industries like advertising talk a lot about diversity and inclusion um and you know more so equity and you know all of that that sort of stuff and there's a lot of lip service paid to it um but you know people are being held much more accountable but I suppose when Dottie was about two or three maybe I started to look around myself at work and and just think well we're not ever talking about disability when we talk about diversity we're talking about everything else you know um but no one's really talking about disability um, so I started to unpack that for myself on my personal kind of journey to find things that were um, celebratory or different or, you know, looking for those different stories and um, advocates and examples of more powerful, meaningful messages and humorous messages and, you know, diff- different things that that would um, emote and, and sort of touch people in different ways as opposed to kind of the the usual things that we'd seen or heard about disability and you know that, that tended to be more stereotypical and as I went through that process I started to bring Elvis you know the the the, the people at Elvis along with me you know right from the beginning the first presentation I had internally I had tears in my eyes you know because I was opening up around I was telling everyone the my story but what had gotten me to that point and it became a really powerful, pivotal moment for the business because, you know, so many people afterwards came to me or emailed me and said, um, goodness, I'd never thought about this before. I feel dreadful. And it's like, well, that that's not, you know, that's not what this is about. We just need to open ourselves up to this. And then on the flip side, I had, well, you know, um, I know I've got a relative or I've dealt with this before. And, you know, I found myself being the kind of person people wanted to open up to um, in terms of their own experiences of disability. So, so I found myself in in a position that I, uh, you know, I felt accountable for, and, and I took great responsibility um, uh, in making sure that then that carried on. So, so I think the way in which it happened at Elvis um, came from an authentic place um, and it came from a place of, of my experience, but that's certainly not um, the only experience. And, and I, you know, very importantly, don't have a disability myself. Um, so I can't speak for um, disabled people. I can't really even speak for Dottie, you know, because I can, I can glean things as her parent and her um, fiercest protector um, but she can't communicate to me um, so you know a lot of that stuff so I think I'm very very cognizant of that and I've tried um, over the sort of course of the last few years particularly at work and then the networks that I kind of now um, am a part of is to continuously bring in disabled people um, and, and try and provide an opportunity for them to talk and for them to be part of that because you know for whatever reason there's still fear and stigma and uncomfortableness around people 
you know, conversing and speaking to disabled people. You know, I've no doubt that I get booked on a lot of panels because um, people are probably more comfortable talking to me about it. But, you know, it's something I've sort of come come to um, a resolution on uh, more recently, which is I'll absolutely speak on a panel, but I want to bring, you know, Shani Danda with me or um, Solomon Khan or, you know, people that I have met that, that really deserve to, to talk in that way with real lived experience. So I'm always, you know, very careful um, and learning more and more uh, each time that we try and unpack a new narrative or a new um, way of trying to bring disability into the, you know, diversity conversation because I, I genuinely, you know, can't speak for them. I'm just desperately trying to advocate in a world that's still very, you know, not prickly, just not not confident in really opening up in. Yeah. Well, Emma, there's so much there to unpack because you've made some really quite a bit of salient points there, but I want to first kind of acknowledge and expand a little bit further on, you know, you, to be honest, when I was reading more about you, I thought Elvis was a um, communications agency that was born out of this this inclusion and, uh, you know, championing for diversity, but it was more you becoming a change maker and helping to drive that conversation, not within just the agency, but it seems like through the brand, these multinational household brands that you work with to change their own narrative through the marketing channel, through the advertising channel, which plays such a huge role in influencing our behaviors, our attitudes. So I just really wanted to acknowledge that first, because I think with so much change in society, it takes a change maker in, in smaller circles to, to be the one to start that conversation. But I think I would just add, sorry, I would just add there that I think Elvis has always been an incredibly special place. And and I think that, you know, I've, I've stopped talking about how long I've been there now because it's just, <laughs> it's way into double figures. Um, but that, that's always been for a reason. So I think one of the, the, the things that I realized quite early on with Elvis is it's absolutely full of very like-minded people. So that, that culture has definitely come through in much much more recent years and and I think I have definitely done a job um in in you know um helping lead that but there are so many people within our business particularly now the formation the formation of the exec board where um we are really really trying to make sure that comes through in all of our values in our work and the projects we you know choose to invest in and you know everything from our our kind of um latest blood bank campaign to um you know representation in um our day-to-day client ads so yeah I think I think it is genuinely a special place so I feel like I've been able to I suppose affect that um with with brilliant um people that want to do the same thing Mm -hmm. you're right the the right environment definitely helps too so can you tell us how other brands big or small can can be part of this change in in changing the narrative if they want to be part of what needs to happen in in a, in our society and through their own marketing communication. Mm, mm, yeah, I mean it's it's what's wonderful about um, this is that when people are um, 
worried about how to start, you know, on this journey of embracing disability or even talking about it because people, you know, often are still um, afraid to say the word disabled or, um, you know, will trip themselves up. Some people um, identify with, you know, the term disabled person. Others will be a person with disabilities. And, you know, um, that's definitely dependent on the individual because, like we keep saying, everybody is, is different and it's a personal preference. But I think I've gotten to the place where I'm very comfortable um, talking about it um, and using terminology. I will still get it wrong, um, um, but I'll learn about that. You know, I'll learn with that and, and, and take it on into other conversations. But I think in terms of businesses, we've talked, you know, within the industry a lot at Elvis and to our clients about this isn't just about putting, um, you know, disabled people in your big glossy TV ads. Um, embracing disability and opening yourself up and educating yourself about it um, you can you can you can approach in many different ways so one of the things we have been working um, behind the scenes on for the last you know however long certainly um, year or so at Elvis is accessibility online and how we create more accessible content um, you know as a business but also um, for our clients and we're actually just launching um in a few weeks uh one of our projects for one of our newest clients which you know is fully accessible and we're really proud of and we've partnered with um an amazing company called Zunu on that and we're really you know championing that and that has been such a great education process for everybody on that project and the client not just people you know in the tech team that are expected to understand it you know how are we reaching and including disabled people? Because they've got huge spending power, you know, as, as, a, as a set of consumers. Um, there is a lot of a lot of money um, that brands don't necessarily take on board. There are, you know, there are pots, there are pots of um, cash, so to speak, that they're missing out on. Um, and it's obviously not all about that. It's about doing the right thing. But but there are shrewd business angles to this as well. So um everything from the the work you're putting out to the people you're showcasing in that and the stories you're telling um to i suppose your hiring policies and the people you go to to recruit and understanding you know um what accessibility means from a, a hiring perspective as well so there are so many places to start and so many things that you can do um big or small the important thing is just to start and I, I do encourage, you know, brands or people. I'm always open to to helping with that because, like I say, I know so many people, whether it's an Elvis um, project or people now in the industry and that I've met through networks that that can definitely help. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's many different ways to approach it. Yes, and thank you for reminding us to just start. It's okay to just start anywhere. And, and you're right that, um, and I'll admit also that I think a lot of what holds us back in being part of these uncomfortable conversations, whether as we've all been shaken up with racism again, mm -hmm. is, is what if I say the wrong thing? Like I, I'm, I'm not, I certainly was not educated enough around yeah. the topic of racism and and certainly around disability and inclusion so you know thank you for for reminding us that it's okay to to not be afraid or or just to start with anything whether it just be education or just starting conversations and asking questions i think and you know that's for me has been the the biggest way to educate myself is to 
ask questions. So definitely. definitely. And I, th- I think, you know, social media has such a huge role in the, the content we consume now. So, you know, you get the message to di- diversify your feed so often. Um, and that could apply to um, the Black Lives Matter movement and how you support the black community or it can apply to disability or anyone. Um, but actually doing it, it does make a difference. You know, that's where I started as a parent. It's where I got a lot of my understanding and, you know, almost, let's say, much more open access to the lives of disabled people because the content they're producing and putting online is so diverse and incredible. Mm-hmm. Yes. And let's talk about being a parent and, you know, how can other parents have these conversations with their own children? Because we know that childhood bullying, for example, is all too common worldwide and children with disabilities are at an increased risk of being bullied. And there's scary statistics of how ongoing bullying can severely impact, you know, a child psychologically at such young age Mm. how can how can emma parents of any children their children at home start this conversation with their children it's 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 so apt because i think one of the um one of the things that struck me really really early on when i was kind of processing and you know trying to figure out how to navigate the world with and for dotty as a disabled child you know woman uh, and all sorts of things and i think the she used to go to a mainstream nursery which which was incredible they were absolutely brilliant um and this was before she needed much equipment but she did have this sort of wooden standing frame and a lot of the equipment although it's it's good i mean it does look very um, kind of archaic and clunky and um, she was kind of essentially strapped into a, a standing frame and it, and it had this kind of bowl on the top that, that, that you know you could put toys in or sand or whatever and one of the key workers sort of told me the story one day when I went to pick her up which wasn't very often because I you know I've always worked full time um, but it was it was so it was almost like I needed to hear it you know it was one of those days where I just happened to go and, and her key worker was there and she said, oh, one of the children um, was asking about Dottie's standing frame. So I hope you don't mind. We started to talk about it at nursery. I was like, absolutely not. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, it was a little boy. Um, they were all in the sandpit. And he said, well, why, why is Dottie not sitting in the sandpit? Um, and they said, oh, oh what, why is Dottie not down here playing? And um, the, I think it was Bonnie at the time said, oh, well, she has to go in a standing frame because, you know, she can't support herself yet or hold herself up. And she's trying to strengthen her legs and he sort of just looked looked at her and then sort of shrugged and then just took her a load of toys and sand and put it in her bucket and then got off on with the rest of his day and I thought that that was a really amazing um reaction because it's like absolutely ask questions questions are so important Um, and children of that age I'm talking very young children here so he would have been I don't know maybe two or three max but he processed it, got on with it. You know, didn't it, 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 mm-hmm. it wasn't anything negative to him? He almost solved a problem for her. You know, it was like, Here's <laughs> oh, got your back. It was, you know, it was beautiful. But it really impacted me because I think there's a huge, there is a huge overthinking in adult life. <laughs> you oh, know, yes, you're right. Uh-huh. The older we get, um, the more we are affected by, you know, the um, stereotypes or the um, reactions around us. And I think certainly. Um, I was always worried about Dottie going into a mainstream school 
um, sort of primary into then wherever she would need to go after. Because I think once children sort of start to understand things more and, you know, create their own circles of friends, there's more danger then in that bullying and that kind of um, that thinking of the fact that there's something wrong with her or that she's, you know, needs to be fixed or that she's, you know, um, then, you know, open to language that, that you know, would be upsetting and hurtful and, and all of that stuff. So knowing that she wouldn't be able to necessarily protect herself, that was a huge concern for me. And I think putting her into a special school has definitely aided that. But one of the things that that I tend to do now with with close friends or or people that ask me, other parents of um, children uh, without disabilities, able-bodied children, um, I, I just encourage them to ask as many questions as they like. And as parents, just answer them honestly. You know, to try not to bring your own, like, oh, sadness or sympathy. Um, it, it, what's, um, why doesn't Dottie walk? Well, Dottie is disabled. Um, what you know what is disabled well you know Dottie has a condition which means she can't walk um, so she has to go in a wheelchair Um, you know what's a wheelchair so just basically try and answer the questions without projecting your own fears or worries or preconceived ideas onto it and and I think children are pretty smart (laughs) kids are really smart they'll work it out and they are a lot more accepting than we we think they are I think there are also some great books um, that I, you know, I have, and my new partner has two two girls, and he reads, he's read them that uh, book. It's like kids with disabilities, and it's really great. You know, just just definitely having the conversation um, and showing them other things um, culturally um, that include disabilities. So, um, you know, like Mattel I do a whole range of inclusive Barbies. Um, one, you know, you can get them uh, in wheelchairs with ramps. There are um, oh, yeah. really, really great range of different um, Barbies, everything from um, different race, ethnicities to disabilities. Um, yes, yeah, so to, to sort of yeah, identities, all of it. So so I think it's it's something just to try and bring in to your conversations or, or their surroundings without it, it feeling taboo or, or wrong. Yeah. And and your point that I really want to hone in on is that you said to answer just honestly, you Mm -hmm. know, and not project your own, your own emotions and your own fears and and pity or whatever those emotions are. Because like you said, you know, I think children, they have this innocence, like they're not, and that innocence is so beautiful. And you can see how, you know, how we look, how we act, none of that matters when you're at that stage of innocence until we get older, like you said. And, you know, then society and everything else, you know, gets us a little bit jaded and think differently. So I thought that was such a salient point about answer it with facts, just answer them. Yeah, without trying to... I think think there's also one more thing I would say, which is... Um, not everybody comes into contact with a visibly disabled person. And, and you know, lot, there are lots of disabilities, hidden and otherwise. So, so, you know, I think certainly when we're talking about visible differences or disabilities, as parents, you know, if, if we haven't come, come into contact with that or we aren't familiar or educated, I just open, you know, open your own eyes to it um, and maybe say hi to someone, you know, that you might have walked past before or... Um, and I think that's really important because allowing yourself to get comfortable with it and to understand it will ultimately rub off on your children. So, yeah, that's a really important part of it as well. 
Yes. No, thank you. I didn't I didn't actually think about that, Emma, but that's such a important point as well too that you know, we might not just be aware or we just are blind to it because we're just so conditioned to go about our days and maybe just become oblivious to all these amazing people around us, including um, people with disabilities and just be aware. And if you are to allow yourself to start these conversations and say hello and be comfortable, like you said, that's, that's the word that you said, get yourself comfortable. Um, And that will set the example for your children. Um, You mentioned some books you said. Would you like to share some great resources, whether we're a parent or like someone like me, any of us who want to be further educated and informed? Definitely. Um, So I think the book, um, the the most recent book, um, which I would definitely um, follow up with, I think it's like it's almost something called like how to talk to your kids about disabilities. And they've got, um, um, they've got a, a, what do you call it? A suite of them. One's about race, one's about anxiety. Um, Mm. and so, so these are brilliant. I forget because it's actually in Doc's room. And if I go in there now, I will, um, it's okay. We can, um, I'll cause all problems, but I I would say outside of that, um, there have been some great, um, books more recently that I have started to read. One is called, um, disability, visibility which is incredible um and i believe that is by a lady called alice um and then there is um penny Winter has just written something called tender which which is definitely something for um any parents um that are caring for or have disabled children or a child um and it is an incredible um kind of account of penny's experience um, and something really powerful that I think, you know, everyone should read, whether your you're children is able-bodied or disabled or or whatever. But that is, that's on my, um, you know, I'm halfway through that uh, as we speak. So there are lots more that are, are coming out now um, in terms of books um, online. There's a lady called, um, I think her book is called Sitting Pretty. Um, and I've, these are to go into my uh, you know, uh, online shopping cart as as they come out. But I really, really struggled to be honest with you in the beginning with with resources at all, particularly around the the rarity of Dottie's um, condition. There was literally no consumable information out there on it. It was very much sort of genome led, which was very confusing. Um, so, so I really had to look hard. So, so I basically got now. A lot of people that I follow online, um, a lot of people um, that I follow in terms of blogs um, and listen to various um, podcasts. So Crutches and Spice is um, some somebody that everybody should follow on Instagram, but also there are podcasts like Cripple and Baldy. Um, and just, yeah, basically just finding these these people online. And I can, I can give you a list because my memory is terrible, but, yeah. but I, I tend to just immerse myself in things like that. But um, interestingly, there are there are different things that, that are coming up now, um, both industry um, and sort of social network wise. Um, but something I've been I've been trying to create is pooling all of this stuff to sort of pop up um, a bit of a hub online for people to use, whether that's parents, or, you know, industry specialists. Um, so I'm trying to pull a lot of that together to share. So definitely watch that space um, in terms of hopefully getting that live soon. 
Most definitely. And we will be sure to include the links to these books that you reference in our show notes. So it could be easily accessible to our listeners. Um, so thank you for sharing them. And I want to ask you, Emma, do you feel like we've made some progress in this right direction? I think, yeah, I think there is definitely progress. Like, um, even if I think about it from an advertising perspective, um, because sometimes to, to think about it from a societal perspective just feels really overwhelming and and there's a lot of work to be done. But but I would say, you know, advertising is, is infamous. If I, if I was to ask you to name an ad with um, a disabled person in it or people with disabilities, you know, most people would answer, ask, answer um, Nike. Yeah, or, yeah or, or they would go back to the Maltesers ads. And the, the Maltesers ads are, goodness, you know, I can't count backwards now, but I think they were 2015, 2016. And they are still, um, you know, notable um, within the industry. And I think things are getting better because I see much more inclusion in casting with, you know, our clients are, are coming on the journey, but it, but it has been long and it's still difficult because they're on their own journey in terms of that education and, um, and you know might still be uncomfortable or afraid of you know getting it wrong so so I think there is still a long 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 way to go um, and like I say <laughs> as a parent of someone raising um, you know a parent raising a disabled child um, the world can feel like a very exclusive place um, so so that there are physical barriers um, there are financial barriers for a lot of people and you know I'm in a place of privilege with my work and you know my race and all of that sort of stuff so so I think there is so much work to be done but you have to I have to certainly when it comes to me hold on to what is being done um, and just try to keep um, keep pushing that message and driving change myself yeah well thank you for being such an inspiration um, in in driving this important conversation and for change and inspiring us like someone like me who, you know, don't have a disabled um, person in my family, but yet I can now be more educated and help to be part of this conversation and hopefully start with bringing this conversation to my audience. So yeah. thank you for that. I love to ask Emma, my guest, <laughs> You can go back to your younger self, or maybe I might just throw this in there, pass on something to Dottie to remind you or her or both of you to live fearlessly in the present moment and on her own terms. What would you like to pass on? Um, well, yeah, I, for me, I know I've thought about this listening to, you know, some of your other podcasts. Um it's, it's a really tricky one. I think it, it feels counterintuitive to me because I've always associated sort of success and living fearlessly and having things on my own terms with, you know, working to excess, um, being so busy. So, so I think I would, I would definitely say slow down and sort of unlearn that because I think that there is there is a huge lesson for me and I, I have to relearn it quite often and remind myself of it is that to really uh, impact things or to affect things, I, I have to slow down to almost like be in the moment to achieve them. Um, and 
and just sort of try and block out any of those things that I I tend to as a coping mechanism stick in the way <laughs> of clarity of um you know the things that I want to achieve whether that's in my personal life or um socially or you know projects at work I think just trying to strip it back to figuring out what it is you actually want to create those boundaries around what what your beliefs want to be what your your vision and ultimate mission is um and I, I, you know, I have to, I have to really slow myself down to do that because I can get very lost and then frustrated along the way. Um, and one of the, the um, people I would sort of consider um, as one of my advisors and coaches is, is a, a, a wonderful woman called Sonia Barlow, and she just posted something recently on online that said something like, "I'm not going the fastest, I'm going the furthest," and it really resonated with me um, because I think. I've always just sort of I've grown up in an industry where being busy is an accolade, like, you know, taking it oh, all on. Yes, I know. It's celebrated. And we just can't do it all, you know, as people, as humans, as mothers, as women, whatever. Um, we can't. So um, that that's the biggest lesson. I think that would be my, you know, take a nap would be my <laughs> short. <laughs> it's okay to take a nap, actually. <laughs> it's actually scientifically proven to really, like, help. You know, if you take yeah. a little cat nap. So, yes, thank you. <laughs> Everyone now schedule in your cat naps daily, please. Um, no, that was such a good reminder. Thank you. I have to often tell myself too, Emma, to slow down. It's okay. You're, 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 it's not a, it's not a, what do you call it? Uh, a sprint, right? Yeah. And gosh, I can relate to you when you said it really hit home with me when you're like, so many of us kind of think of this badge of we're so busy. I'm so busy. Like it's mm-hmm. a badge of honor. And especially I, I spent, gosh, 11 years, 11 years in New York City before I moved to New York, uh, not New York, before I moved to Europe. And geez, you know, you know, the New Yorkers. <laughs> like Busy all the time. Hustle is part of your everyday vernacular. But um, thank you for that reminder. So where because I feel like there's so much more that we can learn from you. And I know you speak on uh, um, different panels Mm. and, you know, regular going, just speaking around, where can my listeners connect with you if they want to also hear you speak in future events? Yeah. um, So I, um, I'm on LinkedIn, but also I think at the moment, probably my my Instagram is where I tend to that's where I spend a lot of time when I'm like either learning online or collating or trying to get my head around things so um I would go LinkedIn on Instagram or Instagram um um, or I can give you my email as well but um I would say yeah Instagram is um Ms MS sort of underscore Emma underscore Gardner and I think one of the things I'd really love to encourage people to do is is just chat to me about you know, how they might start opening themselves up to um, or their businesses up to disability. But also I've got so many people that I can, you know, introduce um, and uh, connect them with that, that would that would be brilliant at doing a lot of the, the, the panels and the talks and the interviews, you know, with or instead of me as well. Because I've got, like I say, I've got one very specific um, angle and story, but it's um, hugely diverse. Amazing. Thank you, Emma, so much. It, I 
feel really, really honored to have um, had this conversation with you. Thank you so much for sharing so much of your passion, your mission, your story with Dottie. And, and we will be watching the space for the hub that you are creating. I think it sounds like absolutely something that is needed and will be of incredible value for all of us. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Chris. It's been a pleasure. And thank you everyone for tuning in to another episode of P.S. Younger Self. It really means a lot to me that you're spending your time with me. So if you like this episode, please be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to your podcast. Leave me a review. Tell me what you think. It really helps me get more valuable content to you guys. So until next time, take care and remember to always live your life on your own terms.